Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. If your roof starts to leak or your floor's really squeak, you live in a money pit. Money pit. If your basement needs a pump or your place looks like a dump, you live in a money pit. Money pit. Pick up the telephone, fix up your home sweet home. I call an 888 money pit. The money pit is presented by Quickcrete, Pavestone, the Angie app, LL Flooring, Bank of America, and Deep Sentinel. Now, here are Tom and Leslie. Coast to coast and floorboards to shingles, this is the Money Pit Home Improvement Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. And we're here to help you take on your home improvement projects. Whether you're doing or dreaming, whether you got a project that is underway or one that you're planning for the future, we would love to help you get it done. Help yourself first, though, by reaching out to us. A couple of ways to get in contact. You can call us 24-7 at 1-888-MONEYPIT, or you can post your message to moneypit.com. Coming up on today's show, the spaces under decks can be dark and dirty wastelands, but if your deck is a second-story deck, there are lots of ways to add an underdeck ceiling that can actually drain rainwater that passes through all those boards and clean up that look below. We're going to explain how in today's smart spending tip. And finding a crack in your foundation can be quite disturbing, but not all cracks spell disaster. We're going to share how to sort out the minor from the major and what to do if you find yourself unsure of what you've got. And you may think of ivy as a way to make your home look more, see, distinguished. But did you also know it can wreak serious havoc on your siding and cause major carpet rant problems and even rat infestations? We're going to have tips on the best way to manage those creepy vines. But first, from bathrooms to basements and demolition to decor, we want to help you tackle your to-dos with confidence. So let us know what you are working on so we can help you get that all sorted out. Whether you're dreaming of a project or in the middle of one, we're here to lend a hand. Give us a call right now at 1-888-MONEYPIT or post your questions to moneypit.com. Let's get to it. Leslie, who's first? Heading out to Westchester, Pennsylvania, where we've got Courtney, who's doing some work in the yard with a patio, but a tree's got other plans. What's going on? (laughs) So we want to build a brick patio. We have, like, extra free bricks, and we want to do it in an area in our lawn where there's not a lot of grass growing. You know, it's hard to grow the grass because of these pines. There's five pines. They're large. Right. How can I best build this patio uh, without disturbing the roots and having it level? The answer is you can't, because if you can't get rid of these roots, or at least the major big ones that are where this patio has to be, you're going to continue to have to deal with them. And no matter how good a job you do in laying in the base of that patio, you'll find that the roots will just start to lift it up, especially with brick, because it happens really quick. Concrete might take a little longer, but you know, even if it is concrete, it would lift the slab up and crack it. One of the things you could think about doing is maybe doing, and I hardly ever recommend this except in this unusual circumstance, uh, would be to do a deck right above grade. So it's kind of like a wood platform that is right above the grade. You only have to secure it 
at the corners uh, the same way you would any deck. But then if the roots start to come up with that, then at least you got some room, you know, to, to go before they start to interrupt the thing. And you could always pull the deck boards out, cut the root backs a little bit if you if you can. But, you know, roots are pretty durable. You may be able to cut back some big ones and not impact those trees at all. Yeah, we weren't sure. Um because, you know, we only see a little bit. So when we dig down, we're like, oh, we don't know what we're going to find. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do a little exploratory surgery with a shovel there and see what you find. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Better to know. Good luck with that project, Courtney. Thanks so much for calling us at the Money Pit. Time to talk driveways. We've got Larry on the line. Tell us about your project. Okay. We have a driveway. uh it's probably 25 or 30 years old, and we're going to replace 30 feet of it that has uh, sunk down and, you know, there's been some water issues and so forth. So mm-hmm. we're going to take all that up, of course, and then when we see what we got, we, we probably going to have to – this is just me talking about bringing in some sort of uh, river sand or something and then make sure that that's good, then bring in – I was thinking like uh, maybe four inches of – Maybe uh, SB2, or unless y'all think some other kind of gravel would be better to have us a nice base, and then pour the slab on top of all of that. So that, that's my question. Am I going the right way, or I need some need some help? Yes. Yeah, so are we talking about a concrete driveway or an asphalt driveway, Larry? Concrete. You're definitely on the right track here, and typically you do get a lot of movement, especially in your part of the country down in Louisiana. you got a lot of water and such down there, that uh, and, and the sand, as you mentioned, kind of settles things a lot. You're definitely going to have to get that up, and then you're going to have to bring in some of that crushed gravel. And the thing is, and where people usually go wrong, is they don't put enough crushed gravel in, and then they don't pack the gravel. So you've got to have mechanical tampers compact that gravel and when and when it's done well it's frankly just as hard as the concrete itself you know when it's really solidly packed in there uh, you do all your work with the gravel and getting that crown just right for drainage and then you can add you know your concrete on top of that but if you don't do the prep properly and you don't uh, fill it in you don't compact it you're going to be right back where you are right now in the not too distant future so you're definitely on the right approach here sir Okay, so now when you say uh, the gravel, is the SB2 good or is there some other size gravel that I should use there, uh, you know, maybe like four inches on top of the sand or dirt? What, what are you, what's your thinking on that? Up here, we'll use the gravel that's about an inch, inch and a half in diameter, and then we'll put crushed gravel on top of that. So we kind of build it up with a thicker base and then put the crushed gravel over that and then tamp it down. But that tamping step, I mean, we're not just talking about hand tamper here. You're going to have to rent yourself mechanical temper that you know sits on top of a big metal plate it's got a heavy engine on it put some air protection on and just go to town with that thing get it nice and nice and tight okay well we were i did talk to one guy that sells the gravel and he suggested uh four inches and uh but put two inches down pack it then come back with two more inches and pack that yep you can't go wrong doing that if you feel like it's still moving even though you're tamping it you don't have enough in you got to tamp it well when you do that driveway section, make sure you're reinforcing that concrete because that will also prevent you from having cracking. Thank you very much for your help. I love your show. I, I travel out on the road. I catch you all quite a bit. All right. Thank you very much, Larry. Good luck with the project. Send us pictures when you're done. Okay, sure will. Thank you. Did you know that Americans take 20,000 breaths a day and spend an average of 90% of their time indoors? That's right. And according to the EPA, the level of indoor air pollutants can be two to five times higher than outdoor air and occasionally more than 100 times higher. 
Plus, every spring, we get socked with allergens, too. Well, Air Doctor is an air purifier that filters out dangerous contaminants like pollen, pet dander, dust mites, and mold. Their Ultra HEPA filter has been independently tested to remove 99.99% of tested allergens, including bacteria and viruses. That's impressive. Now, Air Doctor also comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus the shipping. And they're offering a special discount to Money Pit listeners. Just head to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code MONEYPIT, and you'll receive up to $300 off air purifiers. Exclusive to podcast customers, you'll also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. Lock this special offer in right now by going to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-Pro.com and use promo code MONEYPIT. That's airdoctorpro.com, promo code MONEYPIT. Hey, it's coming up on the last week to enter the Money Pit's Safe at Home sweepstakes. You can win a state-of-the-art three-camera security system from Deep Sentinel. These guys are totally unique because not only do they have great cameras, they have live security guards that watch the cameras for you 24-7. Yeah, I love that. Now, Deep Sentinel prevents crime before it occurs, like burglary, package thefts, auto break-ins, or tampering, loitering, and anything suspicious. Now, you can win a three-camera system worth nearly 1900 bucks, or one of five one-camera systems, plus a full year of live guard surveillance. It's your last chance. Enter once a day at MoneyPit.com and share the sweeps with friends to earn bonus entries. That's the Safe at Home Sweepstakes, presented by Deep Sentinel on MoneyPit.com. Time to chat with Lucille, who's having some bathtub issues. What's going on? Uh, it's rental property, and unfortunately, they've just moved out, and I've discovered in the tub, uh, it's a fiberglass tub, and there's a nice yep. little hole. I was wondering oh, if boy. you had any suggestions uh, for me as to how we could uh, repair that tiny little hole. You can use a product called Bondo, B-O-N-D-O. They have a fiberglass repair kit. It's typically used in auto body repair, but if you go to an auto parts store like a Pep Boys or whatever you have around there, and you buy the smallest volume of Bondo you can, you're going to have a two-part fiberglass mix. You'll have the fiberglass material itself. And basically, you put on the fiberglass resin, and you press this little piece of fiberglass material into it, let that cure, and then you put a couple of coats on top of that, and that's it. So the good news is it's a really easy and inexpensive way to fix that hole so you don't have any leaks. The bad news is it's not designed for beauty. It's designed for function. So you're going to see, you're going to see that it looks like exactly what it is, which is a fiberglass patch. Thank you. I appreciate it. Good luck, Lucille. It's tough being a landlord these days. You never, never know what you're going to find, you know, when, when your tenants move out. I'm sure there's a story behind how a hole gets in a bathtub, too. Yeah, but you're never going to hear it. Yeah. I've used that Bondo trick on a shower pan because shower pans are made of fiberglass sometimes. And if they get flexed into them when stepping on them and stepping out of them and so on. As you do. As I do, right, because the shower pan, you got to step on it. Uh, those cracks will open up, and I've used Bondo to kind of completely repair that, and it's lasted as long as I needed it to last, which was years. I didn't really care about the look. It was like a basement extra bathroom kind of a thing, but it worked great. Well, if you have a second-floor deck, that's a really cool thing because you get up there and you can have a good view of your yard, but the area underneath it, it gets pretty nasty. It's kind of like a dark moldy, algae-infested wasteland, and you seldom can use it. But if you were to install an underdeck ceiling, one that was made from lightweight fiberglass panels, 
It's a really inexpensive solution that you could do yourself in a weekend, and it will totally transform that space. We'll tell you how in today's Smart Spending Tip presented by the Bank of America Customized Cash Rewards Credit Card. Yeah, you know, with all the rainwater that leaks through second-story decks, the area underneath that deck can get pretty nasty. And very often, these spaces are going to be damp and wet. They're going to have a lot of green algae growth and a host of moisture-loving bugs. So it's really not a place you want to hang out. But the solution is that you can build or you can buy an under-deck ceiling. Now, if you're handy, you can actually build your ceiling out of corrugated fiberglass panels. And we've got a video, materials list, and step-by-step instructions on our website that gets downloaded over 20,000 times a month that can walk you through the project. Now, the other option is to purchase a prefabricated underdeck ceiling system. This is going to cost you a little bit more, but the ceiling will be actually a lot easier to install. It tends also to look a lot more finished when you're done. There are lots of great manufacturers that make prefabricated systems. You can look for one by underdeck or timber tech. There's the Trex rain escape system or deck drain. Now, every one has their own sort of unique design, the way they get installed, but all in all, they're a lot easier to install than starting from scratch. And once that ceiling is done... You can give that underdeck space a good cleaning and start enjoying all the shade it will deliver on those warm summer days ahead. And that's today's smart spending tip presented by the Bank of America customized cash rewards credit card. Apply for yours at bankofamerica.com slash more rewarding. John Rhode Island has a question about solar panels. How can we help you today? Solar panels installed the latter half of March and uh, had been noticing a steady increase in production. Up until about two weeks ago, and um, I have uh, noticed the production falling off, and of course the pollen has increased. And I'm wondering if there's anything on the market that I could treat the panels with. My panels are located kind of high on the roof. Um, it's difficult to get to, and um, just like I said, I'm just wondering if there's something that I could add to it to have the 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 uh, pollen wash off quicker. So it's pollen and tree droppings, huh? Yeah, well, actually, the trees I'm in good shape with, but it's, it's really basically the pollen. I live in a wooded area, and like I said, I've, I've watched the production, you know, with these inverters. You can really carefully monitor what the uh, system is doing. So uh, it, although the days are getting longer and the sun is getting higher in the sky, uh, production is off, and the only thing I can relate it to is John, that's actually a surprisingly common problem, and the solution is simply to clean those panels. Now, in your case, that may be easier said than done because you're telling me they're difficult to reach. It might also be possible to install sort of a cleaning system that consists of uh, manifolds that are installed right above those solar panels where you basically can turn on the water and run run water over them you know, occasionally to clean them out. But, of course, that's a lot of work. Uh, is it possible for you to get a ladder up against the side of that uh, house there and uh, use uh, a hose or with some, maybe a high-pressure hose to be able to kind of wash the pollen off those panels? Because it's pretty well documented that uh, solar production goes down, as you've discovered, uh, when those pollen when those panels get covered with dirt or pollen. Right, right. Well, I guess I guess the thing I'm sure there's something I could invest in. Uh, certainly, a better ladder, a taller ladder. Uh, and also, there's got to be something where I can actually get the hose on a pole. Um, I have a pruning pole, and maybe point it at an angle, you know, where it could it could uh, it, it could wash the panels. But again, I thought maybe the solution would be well in the spring, get up on the roof, treat the panels, and then I should be all set. But um, 
know, maybe it's just as simple as a hose. Yeah, I'm not aware of any treatment there that's going to basically make them slip more slippery. You know, I guess there's maybe I'm sticking like in terms of a wax, but you know, um, Hide Tools H Y D E they have a product called Pivot Pro that attaches to a regular hose. And it has an angular nozzle at top, top, and it's, it's designed for like cleaning gutters and then cleaning like boats and getting underneath spaces and things like that. And basically the head, um, pivots. So you can get all sorts of different angles with it and also steps up the pressure of water coming out it. Pretty inexpensive tool there. You might want to look that up online and give it a shot. I think I will. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Peggy from Illinois is on the line. What's going on at your money pit? Well, I have patio, and uh, supposedly the boards that go between each of the sections uh, that are in there for expansion were supposed to be treated, but they have all rotted out. I mean, I can pull hunks of it out, and I want to know what to do. Do Do I dig the rotten wood out and fill it? with something or what should I do with this? So here's what you need to do. First of all, go ahead and scrape out all of those spacers that are left behind. And it wasn't probably wood. It was probably this sort of tar soaked spacer that's very common in concrete work. So you get that all out of there. Mm -hmm. And then what you do is you put in, there's a foam tube. It looks like, you know what a pool noodle is that the kids play with in pools? Yeah. Like those big foam noodley things. Mm-hmm. It's like that, but it's a miniature version and it comes in different widths. So it'll come like one inch width or inch and a half width. So you figure out which one you need that's just a little bit bigger than the gap. Mm-hmm. And you press that down into that space between the slabs of the patio, leaving maybe a half of an inch before between that and the surface. And then what you do is you add a, a sealant, a concrete sealant. There's going to be like a flowable, caulk-like product that you can pick up at home centers designed just for concrete. It's like a flowable urethane, and that lays in on top of that filler so that you don't waste a lot of product. Like, it's not going to fall down into the crevices. The, The foam tube keeps it up higher, and it'll look nice and neat and clean once again. Is it like a caulk? It's like a caulk, but it flows a little bit better than a caulk, so that once you put it in there, it sort of settles down and it's flat. When it's all done, it'll be kind of like a concave slot there between the patio and 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 it'll stop water from getting back past that and because you get a lot of water that gets below it it can make the patio move and crack and it's a caulking thing all right i will do so thank you you're welcome peggy good luck for that project everyone should know that drinking water is important to staying hydrated and healthy Having safe, clean water is the last thing you want to worry about, but unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants right in its tap water. That's why we are thrilled to be working with AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers use a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process, and their countertop purifiers work with no installation or plumbing. It removes 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and is specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAs in your water supply. And they have water purifiers to fit every type of home, from installation-free countertop purifiers to higher-capacity under-sink options. They even have a Wi-Fi-connected purifier and mineral boost options. And its proprietary purification technology is independently tested by IATMO to NSF and ANSI standards to remove over 80 of the most harmful contaminants, including chlorine, 
fluoride, arsenic, PFAs known as forever chemicals, nitrate, and many more. I can truly taste the difference when I compare it with my old water filter. AquaTrue saves you money also. Just one set of filters from their classic purifier makes the equivalent of 4,500 bottles of water. That's less than three cents a bottle. Plus, you'll save the environment from tons of plastic waste. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and even makes a great gift. And today, Money Pit listeners can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier. Just go to aquatrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter code MONEYPIT at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue water purifier when you go to aquatrue.com and use promo code M-O-N-E-Y-P-I-T. Money Pit. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Margin, New Jersey is on the line with a kitchen question. How can we help you today? I have a uh, carousel in the kitchen for the kitchen cabinets, and uh, the shelf, the top one, is uh, dropped a lot, and I can't figure out how to go about to uh, secure it or how in the world do you repair something like that? So is this sort of like uh, what we would call a lazy Susan, like sits inside of a cabinet and spins around? Yes. And holds the pots and pans. They take a lot of wear and tear, don't they, Marge? I mean, uh, over all those years. Sure. Does it have to be replaced or can it be repaired? Well, it depends. I mean, the first thing you need to do is clean that cabinet out and take the existing carousel apart. Now, if the mechanism itself, uh, like the ball bearings have fallen apart, there's a bracket between the carousel and the bottom of the cabinet that has like two plates on them and they spin on ball bearings. If that uh, access has broken down, which it could over many years, you know, that uh, has to be replaced. And the thing is that those parts are all available, especially for those old cabinets. You can usually find them online if you, if you research them. And essentially what has to happen here is you got to take that whole thing apart and then rebuild it. Now, this might be a job for a carpenter or a cabinet maker or somebody that's just handy enough to, to be able to tackle this. But I find that when I look at something like this, that, that cabinetry will speak to me. It will tell me how it went in and what has to be done to take it apart. If you look at it very carefully, you can usually figure it out because somebody put it in to begin with and there's got to be a way to disassemble it. Does that make sense? Uh, Yes, that does. Now, since there are two uh, uh, levels, one on the bottom and one on the top, the ball bearings would be in the bottom level so that if I start unscrewing everything... Uh, where would I find them? Does it make a difference if it's a two-shelfer? There's one shelf way on the bottom, then there's the space, and then Mm -hmm. you have another shelf. Right. I don't think it makes a difference because I think it's all part of the same assembly. And and the ball bearings are going to be on the bottom, not the top. The top it may have like an access point, like an axle, but the spin is going to be under where all the weight is. Okay, so that's... That's the side of it. Does this carousel uh, still move, or is it too stiff? No, it still moves. It still moves. What part of it is broken, Marge? Uh, the, the actual shelf itself, the top shelf, appears to have dropped about uh, eight inches. All right. So here's what I would do. If it was just the top shelf that, that dropped, I would look for a way to repair that top shelf. 
And I can't tell you exactly how to do it, but probably figure out a creative way. If that's dropped down, if it's sitting like on a center column, then they have to get something up underneath that to support it. Okay. All right. So that's what I'll do. Good luck. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Well, you might not realize it, but your home is always moving. It expands, it contracts, it settles, and sometimes that movement can result in some cracks to your foundation. But even though the cracks are kind of common, they can be pretty disturbing for most homeowners to find. So, Tom, how can you tell if a crack is serious or just the result of some normal house movement? Yeah, you make a good point because just about every home has its share of cracks, and they're pretty common, and there's a number of reasons why they happen. For example, if the soil underneath the house wasn't fully compacted before the foundation was set up, that can cause cracks. If you get, and this is really common, you get large pieces of organic material, like, for example, a tree trunk or branches or something like that that was underneath. Say, we used to see this all the time in garage floors. It would be the last place that the bulldozer would leave, right? And there would always be some chunks of wood left behind, and that rots away, and it settles, and that's why those floors will crack. And sometimes the soil that's beneath the foundation or beneath columns can shrink due to not having enough moisture, and that's especially true in Texas where they have soils that do that. Or in the Northeast where we are, if you've got too much moisture around the house, that can cause them to become unstable as well. So lots of ways that foundations can weaken and crack, but not always do you need to have a repair done. Yeah, so how can you tell if it's a major crack or something minor and totally fixable? So, Tom, is it true that it's, you know, the direction of the crack? Is it horizontal, diagonal, vertical? Do those all signify something, you know, more serious? Yeah, I mean, for, so static cracks, ones that are not moving, those are usually vertical. They're usually small, they're hairline, they're random. Those types of cracks can be repaired pretty simply. Generally, I recommend that you simply seal the crack with a masonry caulk material or a silicon caulk just to stop moisture from coming through. The ones that I'm more concerned about are the dynamic cracks that are horizontal. So, for example, if you have a lot of water that collects at the outside of your foundation perimeter, what will happen in the wintertime is that water will freeze and it will push on, especially if you have a concrete block wall. And I've seen that sort of frost heave actually knock walls in completely. So over time, they, they freeze, they thaw, they freeze, they thaw over successive you know, years and years of winters. They eventually move that wall to a point where it's unstable. So that's something you really have to look out for. And if that is something that you spot, if it's really bad, the wall probably has to be structurally reinforced. If it's minor, it just means fix your drainage so it stops happening. And in terms of the repair, one caution I will give you is this. Don't just go to a contractor for the repair to be done. If you've got a serious structural crack, hire a structural engineer, have them examine it and do a report about it. And then that report goes to uh, the contractor. It will specify exactly how they should fix it. Then you have the engineer check it again when he's done. And this way, you'll get a letter from the engineer basically saying, I identified the problem, this contractor fixed it, and you know, it's no longer an issue. And if you try to sell the house, it's not going to be a concern. Too many times contractors uh, put on their structural engineer cap when they shouldn't, uh, and that doesn't do you any good. You definitely want to have a, an engineering professional involved if the wall is seriously damaged. Well, you may think of ivy as a way to make your home look distinguished, but did you know that it's actually wreaking some serious structural havoc on the house? Yeah, it can. I mean, it looks beautiful. It does look distinguished, but the problem is it can totally destroy masonry walls. It can attract carpenter ants. It can even attract 
rodent infestations. And not to mention, you can lose a few trees in the process because it wraps around the tree and basically strangles it. So it looks great in some respects, but it can really do some pretty serious damage. Now, a little ivy can be really attractive, but when it starts to take over a property, it can be very hard to get rid of. So is there a way that you can actually enjoy the ivy without letting it sort of wrap everybody up in knots? Listen, if you want to have some ivy and you maintain it, you keep it to a minimum, I think that's probably okay. But if you ignore it, it's going to totally take off. Now, if you've already got too much, what you want to do is gently pull the ivy from the house because it's got like tendrils that will really get into the brick. It'll really get between the siding boards. And so you have to be kind of careful the way you pull it out. You may have to cut some away. You may need a hand pruner. You probably are going to need to scrape siding to remove any of those dead branches or the dried leaves and even sand it like with an orbital sander to remove any residue. Because if you leave too much of that behind, it can re-root and start growing all over again. Uh, And along the same lines of that, make sure when you get the stuff off your house, you stuff it into plastic bags and you get it off the property because if you leave it hanging about, it again will re-root. And to be sure it's not coming back on your siding, make sure you brush a little herbicide on the leaves of any ivy stem and that will actually kill the plant. It's the kind of thing you have to really manage. It looks great. It looks cool. It looks distinguished. You know, it adds some class to your outside. But, boy, if you let the stuff go, it will totally take over, and you'll be kicking yourself for not keeping it under control. I actually had to rescue a couple of trees, Leslie, that had some pretty serious ivy problems in the back of my property. And what we did was the ivy had gotten so thick around some of them, it was like an inch to an inch and a half thick, like at the bottom of the tree. I actually cut a chunk out of that ivy vine, and within two years, it dried up and all fell off, and the tree survived. So it's not quick, but, I mean, it does work. I mean, but it grows like crazy. We have this whole sort of shrub next to the driveway, which is just covered with ivy from, I have no idea what shrub that is, but it looks like an ivy wall. And um, it's on my neighbor's property, so I can't really do anything about it. But it started to just sort of take over the driveway. I mean, it is wild, and it grows quickly. So I've been doing a little secret work on my side of (laughs) of the structure, seeing how much progress I can make. Just remember, shiny leaves, let it be. That's poison ivy. (laughs) Oh, yes. I've already been dealing with that in the mix of things as well. Patty in Arizona's got something going on with the water. What's up, Patty? Well, um, the water in in Arizona is very, very hard. And I, I, I heard that you were having a, a drawing on um, something receiving a water system that would soften or help that. And I thought, well, maybe I should just call and see even if I don't win what what I should be doing. So tell me about your hard water. What are, what are you seeing uh, in your house? How is this affecting you? Oh, well, everything, um, you know, is spotted. Uh, the toilets get a ring around the top uh, very quickly. Um, it's hard to wipe things off. The dishwasher doesn't, um, you know, rinse uh, completely, it seems like. It really affects a lot of things in the house. Well, I mean, there are a couple of different water purification systems out there that are designed specifically for hard water. You know, there are types that use salt to soften the water, and there are other types that are salt-free. And Home Depot is a good source for 
pretty much any water quality solution. But what I would encourage you to do first is to have a water test done. And you can have this done professionally. There are free tests that are available um, at places like Home Depot. But have a water test done so you know exactly what you're treating for. And then you could make the best decision on the system that's going to work for you. But it's not hard. You know, these systems are pretty straightforward to install. Usually they're installed at the main. And they're going to treat that water 24-7, and it's going to be a lot easier for you to to clean with that water and wash with that water, and you won't have the spots, and your clothes will come out softer, and it just kind of affects you all the way down the line. So that's what I would do. I'd start with a water test and then choose the system that's best for you based on that result. Patty, thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Hey, so we have some uh, some small blueberry uh, bushes uh, outside our backyard, outside, like along a fence. Yeah. And the deer, of course, were considering them part of their breakfast. Oh, it's their summer treats. Yeah. So what we did is we got some of that black netting, which is actually so thin, you can't even see this when it's on the plant. And it worked great. It's totally kept the deer away. They know they can't kind of like pick off the berries now, so they go over but are the are they juicing house. the berries? <laughs> I don't think they're juicing the berries, though. It's no. the perfect strainer, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah, right? <laughs> No, this really thin, netty stuff, it's really cheap. It's like you have to kind of pay attention when you unroll it because it's so thin. It's like screening material almost. You lay it over there, and because it's black, it just blends right in. So one more thing to do to keep this deer away. <laughs> well, whether you've got a berry question like Tom or something else going on at your money pit, reach out. John in Montana did, and he says, I recently purchased a home that needs some TLC, and I really don't know where to begin. He says we want to replace the old furnace and water heater. One of the bathrooms is in bad shape, and we also need to rip out carpeting and replace it with hardwood flooring. How would you prioritize these projects? I, I kind of think I'd prioritize them the same way he did in that email, Leslie. I do mechanical systems first, so heating and water heater, definitely. You might have to disturb some of the old structure to do that, depending on how well the old and the new one fits in. But let's get our mechanical systems working, because if your furnace goes out, you can't do anything when winter comes. And then I think the bathroom... It sits in bad shape. You know, bathrooms are one of those improvements that give you a lot of return on investment. So if you have the ability to do it next, I think I would probably tackle that next and get it fixed up because carpeting, any kind of flooring project, yeah, it's a nice to have. It's not a have to have. Uh, and you can really do that at, at any time you have the budget and the time to get it done. So I would do mechanical systems. Oh, but it's so much easier when the house is empty. That is a good point. But still, unless you have the budget to do it all at once. Mechanics first. Yeah, you got to make sure. Floor right, yeah. in second. Just Agreed. imagine how cold it would be without a furnace and we'd be working on that floor. <laughs> but your floors would be so Furniture beautiful. or not. <laughs> <laughs> but the floors would be lovely. So, you know, six and one half dozen of the other. All right. Next up, David writes, uh, he's having a hard time finding a dryer exhaust vent that fits his house. And he says, my house has a rigid three inch PVC pipe as a vent for the clothing dryer. And I'm having a hard time finding a dryer duct in that size as most seem to be four inches. Yeah, you should not be using a plastic pipe as a dryer exhaust duct. Really bad idea. That's why dryer exhaust ducts are metal these days. Or, um, you know, even the cheap ones are, are like a flexible foil kind of a stretchy vent, but you can't use PVC. So I would stop looking for something to connect to it and think about replacing it. And I think that the metal dryer exhaust ducts, which you can buy at home centers, they come like sort of flat. You have to sort of bend them into the duct shape. That's definitely what you want here. You want to make sure you have a short travel from the dryer out 
as possible because that will make your clothes dry a lot quicker. And with that metal duct, it will be a lot easier to keep clean, which is something else people don't do nearly enough. Um, I actually just had my dryer vents cleaned, and it was amazing how, I mean, I had let it slide a couple of years, not like 15 years, but five, which is a lot. And my goodness, okay. a lot. the yeah. amount that came out, it was just disturbing, gratifying, and also now I feel you know <laughs> much safer at home. Yeah, you should. Don't wait five years next time. Though. No, I will not. <laughs> This is the Money Pit Home Improvement Show on a beautiful, warm summer day. I think summer is now officially, what, about half over? It's unfortunate, but it is, even though we waited so long for it. But there's still plenty of time to take on projects. And if it's too hot, push them off to the fall a little bit. And remember, if you guys have questions, you have tips, you are starting a project, you don't know how to start it, you got stuck in the middle of it, you can always reach us 24-7 at one money But for now, that's all the time we have. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Remember, you can do it yourself. But you don't have to do it alone. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.